today's episode of Board Game Impact, I've got a very special surprise for you that will fundamentally change parts of the show, and I think you're really going to enjoy it, so stay tuned. Welcome to Board Game Impact. My name is Bruce Brown, and if this, this is your first time visiting the show, first of all, welcome. Uh, what we seek to do here is to let you know about what experiences we're having in the gaming hobby, so that way you can make informed decisions for you and your gaming group. And if that sounds like something of interest for you, make sure to do hit subscribe while you still have that iPhone or Android in your hand, and then uh, so that way you can tune in for all the latest and greatest episodes. For those who are returning, this episode is going to be different for you. This episode is something that I've been talking about for a while, behind the scenes that you haven't known about, and that is behind the scenes with another individual, somebody who I've actually alluded to in some of the stories I've told about the different gaming experiences. And so I thought, in talking with this individual, why not bring him on the show and let's start having regular reoccurring content for you, because it's about gaming experiences with other people. And so what better way to do that than to bring in other people? Surprise. Um, so with all that being said, um, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce one of my best friends, and that is Josh. Josh, can you uh, let, let the listeners know you're here and a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so hello, listeners. Uh, my name is Josh uh, Isringhausen. Um, I have, like Bruce has alluded to, uh, been kind of behind the scenes talking to Bruce about this show um, really kind of since its inception. Um, and it's been something I've taken a great interest in. Um, I met Bruce um, actually, weirdly enough, I think Uh-oh. we met through board games. Yeah, we um, did. We did. Even though we worked at the same place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At board games, we came to find out that that we actually worked together, um, and just hadn't encountered one another. So, um, yeah. And we came together because of a meetup, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the board game meetup there. Uh, and, um, we've had a lot of really great gaming experiences. Um, Bruce was one of the people who first convinced me to go to my first convention. Um, and, so now, even though we no longer live or work in the same place, still have <sighs> the shared connection for our love of board games and, and the experiences that we've had and continue to have when we do have a chance to get together and, and game. Yeah, so sadly, Josh moved away. Um, but in that it's actually still great because board games have been able to keep us connected. So we've been able to keep reaching out and saying, Hey, what games have you been able to try? What games have you been able to play? How's that going? But then also reconnect at a convention. Um, it's just a really great, I love the fact that this hobby is able to do this for us. It's just not something I expected on the front end. Yeah, no, not at all. I, um, I agree entirely. It's really interesting because I had gamed a little bit before I first moved to Texas, um, and it, it wasn't really, in, that was how I made all of my connections there, um, and that was how I made all of my friend groups and met people like Bruce, and our, our the rest of our gaming group really became a core part to my friend group, um, and I was able to do the same thing moving um, to New Orleans, where I now live, and it 
being able to just immediately have a community and then also to be able to return to the communities that you've left and still be able to jump right back in like nothing has changed even though eight, nine, ten months have passed since you maybe last spoke or saw um, a lot of those people is um, a phenomenal, I think, experience and, and something I really love about this hobby. Yeah, so Josh and I, I mentioned the second that we met because of a board game meetup. And so if you're not familiar with meetup, that's meetup.com. And so if you're moving to any kind of new area or looking to engage um, in the ho- the board gaming hobby or honestly any other interest, go to meetup.com. It's absolutely free. And you just essentially create like an eHarmony profile of your interests. And one of the things I put on there is like, I'm interested in gaming. And so this group popped up. I went to this Irish pub in the middle of Texas. Yes, that's a thing. Um, <laughs> Irish pub that also shares a wall with a German, like a brew house. It's interesting. Um, same owners. It's Texas. Um, we got to meet each other and come together over these games. But then uh, it's wonderful to hear that this is also extended into your move to New Orleans. And now, did you meet the group there through a meetup or was there some other ways? Yeah, it was... Um Interesting enough, yeah, it was through a meetup. Um, there were a couple things that popped up um, when I first moved here uh, that, you know, just a cursory Google search of like gaming cafes or game shops. Um, but it was meetup that ultimately led me to the group that I um, mostly spend time with because I found it was a mile down the road from where I was living, um, this really nice little coffee shop. Um, the group seemed to be completely inactive. Um, and I went in one day and it was actually the store manager who had set up the meetup, um, and kept it open for, um, just to attract people who are new to the city or new to that part of the city who may not have, um, or maybe looking for a new group or, uh, a new way to spend a Friday or Saturday afternoon or evening. So uh, first of all, I think that's phenomenal for not just like users, but like, hey, shop owners, if you're listening to this, like start a meetup if you're trying to get more people to come through because people are on there and they're actively looking for community. So you said it wasn't really that active, but have you been able to see that grow since you've been there? Yeah, it definitely like it comes and goes. There's the core group that's there weekly. Um, but interestingly enough, like there's probably been five or six people in the last year since I moved here that have shown up either just once or twice or have now become regulars themselves who have also said, you know, hey, saw this place on the meetup, thought I'd drop in and see what this whole board gaming thing was about. Um, so it's it's a more eclectic group than I think I was used to. Um, you know, there's a lot more party gamers or um, people who are completely new to the board game um, subculture and, and maybe have only played Catan or, or Ticket to Ride like once or twice with a friend and now they're trying something new. Um, even somebody who came in, there's a couple folks who come in now regularly who just play sequence in the corner and that's all they do. Um, but they come, they hang out, they have coffee, um, talk to people, um, watch other people play games. So it's been kind of interesting to watch um, that little community grow uh, within this really 
dominating culture of of New Orleans, this small little pocket of people who just spend their Fridays and Saturdays at a cafe um, rather than out drinking or anything. It, it's really fun you mean on Bourbon Street? That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and it, I mean, it, I think that's cool that people can come to these kind of events and kind of choose their own adventure, but also, as you said, they keep like looking over and watching your games. And so like, Hey, they're there, they're present. Eventually they might ask you join in on these things. So it's okay if they're playing Catan, like, cause we've all been there. Um, it's okay if they're playing sequence. Cause sometimes, you know what, like, that's what my grandma wants to play. Um, and if that, if they're, if they're grandparents at heart, like good for them. Um, but they're there and they're going to engage. Um, and at least they're coming and hanging out, which is wonderful. And so I'm curious, um, just so our listeners know, what kind of games do you typically play? If you can like pick games off your shelf. Oh man. Um, it's a really, I think this is a difficult question for a lot of people to answer. Um, I think that's changed a lot over my time playing board games. Um, and I definitely go through waves. Um, I would definitely say I tend more towards Euro games. Um, at this point, uh, I would say that's the dominant theme on my shelf, but right. Like that term has morphed so much in the past couple years, even, that it's hard to identify exactly what a Euro game is. Um, you know, if you look at my shelf, you're going to see a lot of Stonemeyer. Um, you're going to see a lot of... Um, so for Stonemeyer games, that's games like Scythe, um, games like Viticulture. Um, and just real quick for the listeners, if you're not familiar with that term, Eurogame. So Eurogame, like there's two kind of schools of thought. There's the Eurogame or like the Ameritrash. And so Ameritrash just focuses on theme first and then finds the mechanics in principle. And then a Eurogame will focus on the mechanics and then like theme is secondary. So it could have a theme, but it might not mean anything except it's there. Um, so you've got Stonemeyer games on there. What else? What are the kind of games? Oh man, I'm like craning my neck around right now to look at my sh game shelf. Um, you know, there's a lot of, I've, I've gotten really into worker placement as a mechanic, um, uh, pretty recently. Um, so quite a few worker placement type games. Um, I have a, I enjoy some territory control. Um, I and I think we will talk a little bit more about this um, later on in the episode, but I've kind of grown away from that in a little res in some respects um, and really tend to enjoy it when the focus is less on is more on your tactics versus the tactics of your opponent. Um, so while I really enjoy player interaction, I think, that can be done in either a positive way or a negative way. And I have grown disinterested in games that focus on negative player interactions. That, I mean, that makes sense to an extent. And I know some listeners out there might really love that kind of thing. But if you think about it, if you're trying to foster community, it's easier to do that when people are coming together over positive things. Yeah. And, and, and I don't, discount those types of games at all. I think, I mean, like you said, any type of game that you're coming out and you're playing and you're interacting with people and you're 
ultimately at the end of the day, the goal is to have fun. If you're having fun, I'm not going to knock the game that you're playing. Um, so it, I think it, and I will generally give any game a shot. Um, I may not come back to a certain game um, or, or I may even play it just because that's what's on the table and that's what everybody else is interested in playing. Um, there, I, I really experienced very few games that I will actively take a seat and not play rather than like sit out entirely rather than engage with the people who I'm around at that moment. Sure. And I've actually found that, and you've, sounds like you've kind of experienced this too, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. And that is that, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this game. I'm going to try it. But then I have like this whole like awakening of, I had no idea I'd enjoy these parts of this thing. I'd never been exposed to that. Um, and I, it was just my own insecurity, if that makes sense. And just not lean in and try it. Um, and I learned a lot more about myself and what I do enjoy, which I've been able to then maximize into other gaming situations. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's that's something that I think comes up more commonly for me at cons um, because you're so inundated with games and it's just nonstop. You have the ability to like try things you may not necessarily be wholeheartedly interested in just because you have so much time. And so I, I know that that has happened for me a couple of times where I sit down at a game that I'm not really interested in but everybody else wants to play it and I end up loving it and going home and buying it because it was such a good time and such a good experience. So I think you and I have a game that that sort of happened for. Um, you and I had a game in which um, we both, neither of us had played it coming into the convention, honestly not even heard of it coming into the convention. And then it was the number one game and there's a recent episode about this one. Um, it was the number one game for like the first half of the convention and we couldn't check it out. And then finally on the last night, and of course you're leaving in like a couple hours, um, the last night we were able to get a copy and then we played it three times in a freaking row. Um, what was it? War chest. I, I cannot speak highly enough about this game. Honestly. Um, it, it was my game of the convention. Um, I actually, I was driving home that night. Um, and within the three hours between the time that we sat down and played it and me getting in my car to drive home, I ended up purchasing it because it had blown me away with just how incredibly clever it is um it's nothing earth shattering new um it's just really really smart well done gameplay mechanics and so for those of you who haven't listened to one of the past episodes so we just had a review of war chest um and so go back and look at that but a real quick synopsis is that Essentially, you have these poker chips on a board, and what you're trying to do is you draft those, and each one of those sets of chips is a different type of army character. So let's say it's an archer, let's say it's a cavalry unit, let's say it is a knight that's a little bit stronger, or a barbarian that actually rips units apart and like runs across the board because it's a barbarian. Um, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to strategically move your pieces around. Think of it like 
light chess with a lot more opportunities while at the same time streamlined play that makes it really easy to understand and all you're trying to do is to knock out your opponents and capture these objectives. Um, really fun game. You can play it in as short as like 20, 30 minutes or as long as you want. Like for us, we actually had a game that like a second or third game, we kind of just let it marinate and like took our time. I, we were enjoying a glass of whiskey while we were playing um, and just had a phenomenal time. Have you been able to get it to the table more? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, last night I got it to the table with a good friend of mine down here. Um, we're it, what I love about this game is it, it, it is a two or four player game. Um, and I have not played it with four players though. I think that makes it interesting, but I really appreciate that it is a two player game because to me, it is a perfect thing to sit down. Me and a, my buddy showed up a little bit early to our game night and we're like, well, you know, we've got. 15, 20 minutes before folks get here, let's bust out War Chest, um, play a little bit of it. He gave a really good synopsis of it that I thought was sounded really, made a really good like summary to it and called it chess with card mechanic. If it was like cards. Huh. Um, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. So... But but I think what really draws me to the game, or one of the things that really draws me to the game is just it's such a good tactile experience. Um, those nice, heavy poker chips, um, and then you drop them in your bag, and you're shaking up your bag, and you get the clinks, and you draw them out, and setting them down on the board feels so nice because it's a nice, heavy thud. Um, but... I think it's, it, it's it. You can teach it in five minutes. Um, it plays in fifteen minutes, and every time I've played a game of this with someone new, they've had the exact same reaction that we had. Of we finished a game, let's play again. Let's randomize the characters that we have. Let's. Um, I want to try this unit that that we haven't seen before, and. I want to try this combination of units and how do these things interact and interplay to create an entirely new feel to the game, um, an entirely new tactical experience in terms of how you're managing your units and maneuvering around the board. Um, I think that ability, that replayability of finding the new combinations is what gives this game longevity that to me like chess i can't play more than once um it's a great game it has lasted forever because of how good a game it is but once i've played it once i don't feel the need to reset the game table and and do start it over again this gives me that same type of mechanic feeling of of moving your units around the board and and taking different actions and attacking your opponent and trying to outwit and outthink and outmaneuver but in a way that is fresh and new and feels like it changes every time you reset the board 
Oh, that just that just brings back all the emotions of uh, when we were able to play it, and it, I've had the same exact experiences. Um, I think you just really hit the nail on the head. So, listeners, like, if you want to learn more, go check out the other episode. Um, but like, seriously, go check out War Chest. Like, we can't obviously speak highly of it enough. Um, and so, I'm gonna actually gonna jump and talk about another game that we technically checked out at the convention. We never played it, but I've now bought it. Other people in the game group have bought it. And it's now come to the table like every time I play. And that is Raccoon Tycoon. Have you seen this thing? Uh, so not since the uh, con. We, I, I remember sitting it down on the table. And honestly, I had zero interest um, when it got set down on the table. Not anything against the game itself. I think we just had, we had other games checked out that I, I had less time at the con than everyone else did. And so there were certain games that I really wanted to play. Um, and I think we just had one of those games that I really, really wanted to play out already. And so I didn't take a lot of interest in this game, but hearing you and everyone else talk about it, I, it's definitely one that has shot up to my must try must play um, games. Oh, I'll bring it. Don't worry. Um, it's one that's now just like permanently kind of living in my game bag right now. So what it is, so listeners, um, Raccoon Tycoon had a successful Kickstarter that they fulfilled back in November and then they delivered to backers, um, in November, but then they delivered it to the rest of the market in January. And so if you get the first printing, it's going to be exactly the same as the Kickstarter version. And so they just essentially really needed the capital to get going because it's a smaller company. Um, but what Raccoon Tycoon is, it actually like really doesn't emphasize the whole raccoon thing. There's like four cards in the game that are raccoons. What this game is, is believe it or not, your railroad tycoon barons, and you're actually, it's a combination of like having Sotheby's auction house combined with also doing commodity trading, but then doing set collection by building your railroads. And so what happens is on your turn, you can either play a card to increase different prices in the market or, and then also draw production, which you can then sell off at a later price when those prices keep going up. And then, so that's how you get your income. And then you can build buildings, um, which can give you little bonuses. It's really just fun because you have this tight balance of the whole market is constantly changing. And what the players do, it does that positive interaction. Sometimes that negative interaction where you feel negative when they drop the price on something you've been stockpiling. And you're like, ah, um, it's not, can't get as much money. Um, but the funny thing is, like, the money doesn't matter because there's no points awarded for money at the end of the game. It All, all that matters is the railroads that you've collected and these things called towns that you've collected because a railroad needs to go to towns. If you just build a railroad to nowhere, no one's really going to care. Um, and so what it is, is there's this really just weird, honestly weird Victorian art on these cards of railroads, bears, foxes, honey badgers. They call them skunks. They look more like honey badgers. And then uh, what's the other one? Oh, dogs and cats, but they're all dressed in like suits with like umbrellas for like the lady raccoons and things, or, or like one's playing a little like violin. Uh, there's a skunk that's putting on perfume to like make herself pretty. There's a fat cat that's like flipping coins in the air. Like this is art, Josh. I'm just gonna tell you, like I didn't need it. I didn't know I needed it in my life. <laughs> I 
what's interesting is I, like I said, I really didn't pay attention. I, I saw the artwork on the cover. It looked cute. It looked fun and whimsical. Um, everything you're describing is everything that I want in a game and I need to play this. The more you describe it, the more I need it in my life. Um, that artwork sounds fantastic. Um, and, and just the mechanics that you're describing are, are exactly the type of game that I, I want to play. Um, and, and the, exactly the type of interactions I want to have with people at my table. And so the thing is though, and I'm just going to say this. So I was worried when I first saw it, I was like, it's got an economy. And so like sometimes when a game has like an economy board, what happens is like, it's essentially an Excel sheet, right. Um, of having an experience, but like, this is nothing of the sort. It is super easy to get into, and I teach it to people in like all of five minutes, and then we're, we're rolling because the turns are real easy, and as soon as they start doing it, it ramps up with the players, and so it's really easy to approach, and so I've been very thankful for it. Um, but what have you been playing besides War Chest? So the, the game that we just finished, so the core group of people that I would say I most commonly game with, um, down here, um, got together. Um, we, we had originally tried Scythe rise of Fenris. Um, there were a few people who weren't as interested um, and they started the campaign. Yeah. Well, so they, we got halfway through the campaign and they kind of were done with it. No. So I still haven't finished. We, I am trying to find a new group to restart the campaign. Sure thing. No spoilers. No spoilers. Um, well, this next game that I'm going to mention, um, we all, I also have to be careful about to avoid spoilers. It's been out much longer. Um, but that is Charterstone. So the mm. same group, um, we started talking and we all agreed. We really like, having a regular weekly campaign style game going. Um, we just wanted something with a fresh start, um, actually a little less of that negative player interaction. There was someone who kind of got beat up for like two or three games in a row in Scythe and just kind of really ruined the experience for them. So we tried Charterstone. Um, my, this by the same, um, game designer jamie stegmeyer um of stonemeyer games yep uh stonemeyer games um and this is actually my second time playing through charterstone so we just finished this a couple weeks ago um and the first time i played through um we had played together yes um, we did with before you moved to new orleans yeah i and we we powered through that <laughs> campaign and what i think i found really interesting is how while I knew and expected generally what happened in the campaign, the experience was so totally different um, based off of the, the people who are playing and the number of people really significantly changed the play of the game. So um, when we played, we played with a, uh, a three person, three or three person game. Um, and this time around, uh, we played with a full six, which is the maximum number of players. Yeah, it's the full board. Um, and so everything becomes much tighter. Hmm. Um, your, your action selection becomes much more competitive. The scores um, 
increase dramatically because your everyone is trying to create the best possible city. And so the actions that are available to you are just better than what they are when you have fewer people playing. Hmm. Um, and you're able to find a lot more unique strategies and unique combinations of ways to gain points. Um, so, um, for listeners who aren't aware of what charter stone is, it's a, um, it is essentially a city building game, uh, that, well, it is a worker placement game where you're placing workers in different locations around the board to build your city. And that takes place over actually 12 games. Um, and and as you play through each game, your city expands as you put these little stickers onto the board, um, without giving too much away, you, um, new stickers give you new powers, which just creates this whole engine that rolls upon itself. And, while you start out with a pretty small, insignificant town, you grow this really big, bustling city that has an economy of its own and and takes on a whole different shape. And game one looks dramatically different from game 12. Um, one thing we haven't tried that I'm hoping to get back to the table soon is to... Um, one of the interesting things about the way they designed the game is the board is actually double-sided so you could buy a recharge pack and play again on the same board so i'm hoping to get it back to the table and actually play the board which um, bruce and i created uh back a year ago with this new game group um, and then i would like to eventually try and get um bruce you and and everyone back in texas to play with the board that we created here in new Orleans. Oh, that'd be awesome. So that's one of the nice things about it is unlike a lot of legacy games, which when the game is over, they're over with charter stone. You can, you, once the game is over, you just have a worker placement Euro style point salad game that you're can play with over and over and over again. If you really want to. How different do your two boards look? Dramatically different. Um, the the six-player board is far more thematic um, because of the way in which the city gets built. Um, it's more intentional hmm. um, because each player is intentionally building their own space, whereas there's some of... There's some trying to think of how to say this without giving, without giving spoilers. Yeah. Um, but in a game that is smaller than full, uh, six people, there's some communal building that occurs, um, in the places that you're not, um, controlling yourself. And so because of that, it's more random and less, um, I think it makes for a less competitive game. Um, than the board that we created with a full six. All right. 
Well, yeah, and so that recharge pack costs fraction, like so much less than the actual full game. So it's actually nice that Stonemeyer did that. Yeah, I, I think the full, full game is sixty, and I think the recharge pack was twenty. Um, oh, so it, it's a really, really nice way to, especially if you want to, like I did, play with a new group and try it with, and, and see how different that experience can really be based on the people who are at the table and the people you're having that experience with really changes um, the entire gaming experience. So, I'm sorry, I'm still just like pondering all that because I I know the experience that we had and like that was just captivating. I couldn't even imagine that you're describing something to me that is so different, but then so much awesome, so awesome at the same time that I'm just having a hard time comprehending both of them existing in the same freaking double sides of a board. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely would love to allow you the opportunity to experience that again. And, and I would highly recommend, um, folks who have given it a try to, to, if you think that the recharge pack is silly or, or something that you're not interested in, um, I could definitely see that for, it, it may not be the, the thing for everyone, but especially if you are going to a new group or you have two different groups of for people that you game with, just feeling that experience and with a different group, um, is a really interesting, um, way to, to play that game and to have that experience. Hmm. So speaking of a different gaming experience, um, I had the opportunity over the last couple of weeks to play Terraforming Mars, which I know you have played, right? A, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's Terraforming <laughs> Mars at this point. Yeah, of course. Um, surprise, not surprised. Um, so with that being said, I got to play Terraforming Mars with literally all of the expansions. So I'm talking the Hellas and Elysium board, Venus Next, Prelude, and Colonies. Um, and we we got to the table like three weeks in a row, which was just awesome. And I've played Terraforming Mars a lot. Have you been able to play with any of these? Um, yeah. So actually, um, back in December, um, so a, a, a little while ago now, was the first time I was able to play with all of the expansions. I really, really want to get this to the table um, with all of the expansions again, um, or at least, um, the prelude and colonies expansions again. And colonies um, only just came out right before December. So it's not like it's been out for that long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, this was actually a game I got with my original OG game group back in Illinois. Um, so the people who first got me into board gaming um, and, and first explored this space with me. Um, and so those of you, I, those of you listening from Illinois, thank you for getting this man into gaming. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that 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 was a really fun experience to kind of be able to go back around the holidays and see all those people again and and have this. Because when I last played with them we were just starting to dip our toes into some of these heavier games and, and terraforming Mars hadn't been out yet. Um, and within our, our own separate spheres, we had all fallen in love with this, um, terraforming Mars and, and all came back and put it all together with all of the expansions. And it, it, it really, I think shine, I mean, it, 
if you've been around this hobby for a while, I, I don't know how you can avoid hearing everyone talk about terraforming Mars. Um, it's, it's just a phenomenal game. Yeah. And so like, we've all got our favorite parts of it too, which I think is interesting. So like for me, like there's a card I just love and I think everyone loves it. And so, but I'm going to claim it and that is the pets card. Um, <laughs> It, it's a little fluffy. Like you, if I get fluffy, I'm taking it. I don't care. Um, if somebody else takes fluffy and discards it, like mm-mm, not going to happen. Um, but so we had the opportunity to play with everything a couple times. And so we played at four players for each time. And I thought it was really interesting seeing players who like really have like dive deep into terraforming Mars, like played all the time for them to add in the colonies. I've noticed them having to like rethink everything they know about it. Did you feel that when you played it? It's, it's interesting. Um, I think I do think colonies more than any of the other expansions. Cause I think a lot of the other expansions all like Hellas and Elysium boards didn't really change the game at all. Venus next added this little side thing you may or may not worry about, but you can ignore it if you want. And it doesn't, matter that much um colonies you can't ignore it i think is is the thing that is sets it apart from the other expansions that have come before it is if you ignore colonies it is at your own detriment um and what's funny is the person who won that game back in december is someone who allegedly never wins terraforming Mars. Um, and they won because they went wholehearted onto the colonies hmm. and everyone else just kind of, I kind of dipped my toe and the other two people just kind of ignored it. Um, but he went full on colonies is the focus for me, this game and just wiped the board with us. Um, it, it just, it, it's, it adds just a whole new way of thinking about the game. I think, um, in terms of the way in which it, those colony boards kind of force you to think beyond the scope of just Mars. Yeah. And so for those of you who haven't played colonies yet, so colonies, adds in this it's a modular setup and so there's a whole bunch of these different colonies they might be like pluto they might be like titan so different planets and things um and what happens is every turn these colonies because it's a colony are going to keep generating resources of one type or another and so they're each themed so one might be all about your um for let's say like floaters or all about pets or all about titanium or all about steel or xyz other type of resource in this game and you start the game with number of players plus two of those and so what happens is you can send your ship by just spending energy or money or um titanium to so because that's the space resource to these different colonies one per turn and you can take essentially the colony's action and get all these resources and so if you let them build up someone is going to wreck shop against you because no one managed that throughout and they just got a ton of resources so i know i had a I had a colony, so you can also place colonies down on colonies. And what happens is then you, when every time you trade there, any time anyone else trades there, then you also get a bonus. 
And so what happens is if you don't watch that closely, and I'm not saying you have to interact with it every single turn, but like you can't let it get out of control. I was in a situation where I had a colony and then I would spend resources to go there. And let's say I spent $9 to go there. Well, then I would make $15 because I had, had because of the card draw, I was able to put some extra colonies down on places I already had colonies. So it was crazy. And then every time that little meter went up and I went there, I was just raking in the money. So I had one that actually gave me a money increase, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, like the people who focused just on Mars were noticing like what the heck is going on out in these colonies, which to be fair, like if we're terraforming a planet and all of a sudden you see this uprising, I think of like the American revolution, like we're going to go just send, like they're just going over to this new land what the heck is going on in this new land and like trying to come in and humble it, but it's too late. Like American revolution started. Um, and so that's kind of how I felt with it. It was just kind of fun. And then it created these nice little engines or you could create your engine on Mars, but then like influence it with the colonies to then like bolster your engine while other people aren't paying attention. So it's just kind of cool experience and honestly changed the game for me where I felt that because I played terraforming Mars so much, is kind of getting a little samey, but this really helped it bring a lot of new life into it. And don't get me wrong, Terraforming Mars by itself, samey is still a good thing because the game's phenomenal, but this added that whole nother layer. So the the one thing I will kind of say towards my one experience with it, and and granted I have only had the one experience playing with everything, is it, it does start to feel a little bloated like that deck is so huge and there's so many cards um that that it definitely feels like there's can be a little bit too much um and and i i would struggle to introduce one of the reasons i struggle to introduce this game um to my gaming group here is that I don't know that I really want to play the base game anymore, but almost no one in my game group has played Terraforming Mars more than one or two times. And so it can be a little daunting to include all of these other things going on with it. So I I definitely think, um, my personal opinion, I think Venus Next is the weakest of the expansions. It is probably the one which... I will most readily cut. I, I think prelude, um, while it doesn't change the game a lot, the giving different resources to different starting players, which is essentially all prelude does prelude gives you two cards at the beginning of the game for you to make yourself unique, um, to add some variability in who the players are. Um, and so I think that doesn't change the game a lot. Um, and it kind of rushes the game forward a little bit. It doesn't quite take quite as long to build your engine because you have some of those new resources, but I just, I struggle to think about playing this game without colonies now. Um, and, and so I think it can definitely feel like a lot, but And as they continue to pump out these expansions, I understand the argument of like a bloated game can be daunting, 
but man, are those, it's, I find it really hard to cut, like even Venus next, it, it's hard to just say, I don't want to play with this anymore. Cause I do, I just don't know that that's one extra thing that I want to explain to someone who's new to the game or newer to the game. Right. And so I think it's done a really good job. And I think you hit the nail on the head in explaining this. It's done a really good job of adding content that's really of value. But with that content also comes a double-edged sword of increasing the hurdle, if that makes sense for new gamers. Um, But in all honesty, I think the depth that it has added to the game is kind of outweighs that just in my opinion. Um, the deck of cards though, it is, it is huge. Like when we're talking, it is huge. Like it is freaking huge. Um, we talked about getting a card shuffler just because of how large these decks are, but even that like wouldn't hold it all. And, the struggle is that now that all those cards are in, so I don't own this game. It's actually another buddy of ours um, who owns it, and he's got everything. He's got the broken token insert, everything, and how he structures it. He's like, I'm not going to go through all these cards and take out these other ones, but at the same time, I'm kind of okay with it because all of us have grown with the game. I hadn't considered that other hurdle aspect, so I thank you for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I, I also have the broken token, and I own everything for this game. Um, I'm actually, if anything else comes, I'm going to have to unsleeve my cards. Um, already there are cards that I can't sleeve because they don't fit in the broken token. Um, if everything is sleeved. Um, so actually colonies, um, all of the colonies cards have to stay in their own box right now because, um, it doesn't fit in the broken token if everything is sleeved. So, um, it's interesting that you say that because, yeah, it, it definitely it, it is a game that I I always want to get to the table. And I'm really hoping to to get it back to the table really soon. And so what I think would be great is for you to talk about um, maybe like one more thing that you have going on. And then uh, for our listeners, we're going to be able to continue this conversation with a um, kind of introducing this banter at the start of an episode and kind of just talking through kind of what's going on in our lives um, when it relates to gaming. So that way you can know and also see where we're at, um, but also kind of engage with us a little bit more. And so I hope this has been helpful, but at the same time, we'll then start adding in an area of focus moving forward as well. So a game where we're going to do this deeper dive, because I've noticed that you and I, we start talking about something, let's talk about it for a while. And that's awesome. And that's what we want to do. We want to go deep dive for our listeners so that way they can know. Um, but let, I think we're going to switch it over to in the future. We're going to try this out. So listeners, bear with us as we experiment on some things. Going through some banter, we'll go into some depth, but then we'll have an area of focus. Um, but what's like one more game experience that you've been having that uh, maybe our listeners can know about? So not to be the beater of the uh stegmeyer slash stonemeyer um drum too much i think this is game number three that you've mentioned from them so it's game game number three on my list game number two that we're gonna talk about here oh no it's game number three that i mentioned i didn't mention scythe Mm -hmm. um and then i mentioned viticulture and um and and i don't even remember at this point but yeah i mentioned things yeah um I my gaming group cannot get enough of Wingspan. I am um, so jealous. Wingspan is the newest game. 
um, by uh, Stonemeyer Games. It's actually not designed by Jamie Stegmeyer. It's designed by a woman. I believe her name is Elizabeth Hargrave. Um, she is a first-time game designer. And what's really interesting about this game is that she has designed a the theme of this game is you are managing a bird sanctuary and you are trying to attract different bird types to your bird sanctuary. Um, and you do that through a variety of things. You need food, the correct type of food, um, and you need eggs on your birds to be able to hatch new birds. And, um, you have to get your birds from the draw deck and, and it, sounds like the most boring um not fun experience but the gameplay and the mechanics of this game make it so pleasant and so enjoyable um twice now uh people i've sat down and said this is the game we're gonna play tonight and people have said i don't want to play that game whoa have because attracting birds um, does not sound fun or in, enjoyable. One of the to be honest, in my game group. Yeah, to be honest, it's not a theme that I would think would really resonate, but it's taken off. Yeah, um, one of the guys in my group theme is really important to him, and it's it's um, the Ludo narrative of the game that you are playing is the most important thing about the game to him, um, and he was very adamant that. This was not a game that interested him in the least bit. Everybody else said, we want to play this game. He finally agreed. Turn three, he was on board. All in, in love with this game. As soon as we got to our next game night, the first thing that was said is, let's play Wingspan um, by everyone at the table. It's, it is it feels very pleasant. Um, it's lighthearted. It's the player interaction is pretty minimal. I like bordering on non-existent. Um, there are a couple thing actions that other people take that will give you a bonus, but beyond that, it, it, it's not really there. But the discussions about this that that come up at the table um, as you're playing these different birds onto your tableau um, and building your engine. It just feels so good and rewarding to do that. Um, I, I mean, I got lucky. I, I pre-ordered at this point. I just throw money at, at Stonemeyer <laughs> games. Anytime they announce something, I am pre-ordering it. Um, really no questions asked they have yet to swing and miss for me so so josh have you did you see what um jamie stegmeyer posted about this game and the pre-orders and things like that um went, went for for wingspan yeah for wingspan i actually didn't pay that close of attention um i just saw new game um i actually have started following Jamie Stegmeyer a little bit more closely mm -hmm. um, because of the way in which he's been rolling out some of his new games and expansions um, where he's just kind of 
posted things on Facebook or in his YouTube. And so I started following him more closely, but I didn't really see much in the lead up to this game particularly. Okay, so I have a story for you. And first of all, I cannot wait to try this game. And honestly, listeners, I'm looking at the pictures of this thing, and I've been looking at the pictures of this thing for a while. Um, it's got like actual like little pastel eggs. It's got a birdhouse that I think doubles as a, um, a dice tower. Yes. Okay. So it, I mean, it's gorgeous. The art on it is gorgeous. You just wouldn't expect this kind of a theme for a game nowadays, just to be honest. Um, but Jamie Stegmaier does a phenomenal job ever since he first started doing Kickstarter. He actually has this blog that he's been keeping up with and writes articles every now and then. And then he goes on Facebook live about every other work day, which is just crazy. And he just mm-hmm. wants to connect with his audience. And one of the articles that he posted a couple of weeks ago, it was actually about how the analytics of the board game industry. And so he was talking with publishers. Like he'd go to all of like so his distributors and saying, How many game how many copies of this thing should I order? No one could give him an answer at all. And so they're like, Why don't you just make ten thousand copies? And so this is what he said. He's like, I'll make ten thousand copies of this game. The game literally sold out in like a day and a half. And People were comment calling in and saying, like, oh, can I get this game? They're calling their game stores. Game stores are complaining to their distributors. Distributors are saying, when's this next copy coming out? And essentially, no one is wrong in this scenario. It's just that, A, the theme probably didn't help like paint an accurate picture because it's new, right? And so I think of anything entering into the space is new. Like, if it's a, a zombie game, we kind of know how that might act right now. There's a lot of reference points. But when it's something new, we have to learn, like, okay, what can we really do here? So distributor doesn't really know. But then also, Jamie Stegmeier has this, like, seriously cult following. Um, and it's okay, because all the games are phenomenal. And there's several other designers that are like that and publishers that are like that, that it's just like, hey, they're just going to be consistent. And so with all those factors together, there wasn't a way to accurately represent how many copies of this freaking thing he should have made. And so it sold out instantly. And then literally before it even hit the shelves, he was having to hit go on the next print order, which for listeners, just so you know, that's like a three month lead out. So when you hit go, it's going to be getting produced. They've got to put all those components together. They've got to then box that up. They have to ship it from wherever it's getting made. It then has to get sent to the different distributors. Then the distributors have to get it to the stores, and then the stores have to put it on the shelves or send it to you directly. So it's a crazy process. And he talked about this pretty at length in that blog post, and it's just phenomenal to hear essentially the struggle of being in his position of trying to appease the backers and just do a good thing while also trying to do that good thing, but it wasn't enough and, but not having any reference point for it. Well, and I think, um, Jamie is really, really good about communication. Like you said, like just his, I, I, I watch his YouTube videos and just his, the way he interacts with his audience is really, really good. And he, I don't think, Right. There was no harm in this intended. Right. Part of it is that he's trying to move away from Kickstarter because he has developed his company and he has the overhead or he has the um, money to pay his overhead costs without having to ask for money on Kickstarter. And so I, I admire him for trying to make that move away. But 
part of what Kickstarter can be good for is gauging the interest. Um, and, and he really had no way of doing that with this game because, right? Like if, if you come to me as if I am a distributor or, um, if I own a game store and you come to me with this game idea and I've never played it or seen it played or heard any reviews, you know, maybe I'm going to put up one or two in stock and see how it goes. And, and that can be a really difficult chip to swallow when you're, really trying not to break the bank and not to put too much money into a product that you can only kind of guess at how well it's going to do. And then lo and behold, it is in January, the breakout game of the year and being bandied around as it's January 21st. And this is going to make my top 10 for a lot of people who are pretty influential in the media around board games that, yeah, I, I kind of feel for them a little bit because there are people who are upset that it is going to be April before this game is available, maybe later for some people. And that's a rough spot to be in. Like a lot of my friends are dying to get their hands on this game right now. And, um, you know, it, I'm thrilled that I was able to snag a copy before it got sold out. And, and, I feel for anyone who is just hearing people talk about it and are just like, when is it available? Like, like myself, like myself, (laughs) I I really don't envy you. Um, cause it, it really is just a beautifully designed and so elegant game. Um, I, 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 I know I say this, have said this about pretty much every game I've talked about, but like, I can't speak highly enough about this. Like it is, it is just another absolute home run from this company that I have just grown to really appreciate. Um, you know, I, I would strongly recommend that if you like the games that this company is producing, follow Jamie on Facebook follow him on YouTube, read his blog posts. That seems to be how he's communicating with people. And you talk about the production quality, man, it, Jamie actually posted a video on YouTube recently talking about the term quote unquote overproduced games. Um, and how that term can be, can negatively impact game designers, game developers and game publishers because we want really, really nice quality products. I actually commented and Jamie actually replied to my comment, which, I mean, I love that. That's someone who listens to his audience. This is a game I use the term overproduced, not as a knock to it. Um, This game is so ridiculous. This game is, has far better components that in, than it has any right to. Um, like it, it really does. It the the eggs feel so nice. They look like little. It's actually kind of scary. They look like little almond. Um, oh no! <laughs> Got to be careful um, of what candies you eat while playing this game. But um, especially this time of year, they feel nice. They look nice. Um, and you know those could have easily been wooden cubes for for the purpose that they serve, but they're not. 
and the fact that they're these little nice textured nice feeling eggs enhances my experience playing it because it adds that little edge that little nudge about just the feel and the experience that you have playing the game but it does so in a way that it did not increase the cost of the game beyond what I think it's worth or beyond what I think is reasonable. Um, I, I believe MSRP on this is 55 or 60, something like that. Uh, 55. It's, yeah. I 55. This game is in my honest opinion, a steal. Like it is, that is well worth the cost. Um, and the fact that you get, a rule book that is linen <laughs> lined. Oh my gosh. Um, I had like, no idea about that. Who does that? No one does that. It nope. is. It and is. I don't know if you know this, but it also the same day it released Rodney Smith put out the watch it played for it as well. So even if yeah. you don't want to read this linen book, you can just go and watch Rodney talk about it. And it, they they really, really knocked it out of the park with production on this. Um, I mean, I, I could say the same about every game that, that they've put out really since Scythe. I mean, I guess Viticulture was okay, but um, Euphoria was okay. But, I mean, every other game they've put out just knocked it out of the park with the production quality. Um, and, and that's one of the things that really has me all in on this company because they are willing to put in the extra thought as to how the components of the game interact with the mechanics. Which really just reinforces things for the learner because if they're able to, the gamer, because if you're able to interact with the things and it makes sense, well, then it's easier to learn the game. Um, and just real quick about the communication from Jamie Segmeyer, what's really nice, and I don't know if you know this, but in his newsletters that he sends out, he's got this really nice grid that he has of every single game that's coming out, including like three of them that are code names um, for games he's working on. And it tells you the status along the way of whether it's in production, whether it's at the factory, whether it's on a boat, whether it's getting shipped off to distributors or is like out there in the market. And it's this beautiful little grid. So it's every single person who reads it knows exactly, okay, when can I expect this? So like the newest one for that is he just announced last week, an expansion for the older game of his called Euphoria. And so now like that got revealed and what's nice is it's showing its progress and how soon you're going to be able to get it. Um, and so it's really nice that he's tying up those loose ends and helping the listeners know exactly what they can expect. And honestly, like all we're trying to do with all this is just come together as a hobby. And so I think just being open and honest, like it shows like he's you're in the business of people regardless of what product you're trying to sell. And the people are going to be there to support you if you're there and transparent with them. And I think Jamie Stegmeier is a perfect example of that. I, I think the thing, I think it really shows how much he took in and learned from his Kickstarter experience. He runs his company as though he is, he runs the communication within his company as though he is running a Kickstarter and he wants everyone to know at every step along the way, where am I at? What am I doing? What am I spending my time and my energy and my money on at this exact moment? 
and when can you expect a product that is going to be what I'm comfortable putting out and that you want to play. And, and I think that that is those who run the most successful Kickstarters are those who communicate with their audience exactly that. And he's just taken that to the next level of ongoing with everything that he does. And and I think that it, it's, it's just a really, really nice way to run a company. He doesn't need to spend that much time or energy on those little things, but it makes me as a consumer want to come back and want to take, get more from you. And so speaking of, people being consumers and uh for all those out there like i encourage you to go look at that if that is of interest to you and sign up for the segmire the stonemeyer uh, newsletter so you can get access to all that but speaking of focusing on the little things and doing things for the listeners and the consumers um that is exactly part of the reason why josh has been able to join us today is because i we've been wanting to do something to really enhance this for you and like we're yes, we're able to now connect t- together a little bit more from a remote distance because of getting to come on this podcast together and do this uh, for your benefit. But really, it's about you in the end. Um, and let's just increase the positive things that are going on in the hobby by getting to talk together. And so, really, we really want to just to invite you into this conversation. And so, if there's been anything in this episode that resonated with you or stood out to you, like feel free to put that in the comments. Like, let us know. Shoot us an email, boardgameimpact at gmail.com and we'll both be able to look through that and respond to you Uh, but really i'm just so thankful josh that you and i are finally able to make this happen Um, and listeners i hope you're excited for uh, what's to come with this and as we experiment with some different formats but also really just get to connect all, all for you in mind and the experience that you're getting to have with your gamer group and so josh as we're signing off do you have any kind of closing remarks no i i just really want to say thank you, Bruce, uh, uh, for for letting me kind of do this. This is something that I've considered and thought about and wanted to do for a really long time on my own, and I've just never taken the plunge. And so your willingness to kind of share this platform with me, um, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled by it. Um, listeners, I really hope that um i didn't annoy you uh with my um my banter and my raving about uh, about um different things um i i do want to say thank you for just letting me into the space and, and giving me an opportunity to just talk about something that i really really love and i'm passionate about um you know it, it can sound kind of weird hearing myself say these things um but it it's just a really nice outlet to, to talk about something that has had a huge impact on my life and on the relationships that I have and the people I interact with. And so being able to share that with, with new listeners and new, new people, um, I, I really hope that this becomes a thing that, that listeners enjoy and want more of, because I, I am really looking forward to, to being back on and, and being able to, try some different formats and try some different things out, um, moving forward. So thank you so much. I, I, I can't say it enough. 
Awesome. And thanks, Josh. And so listeners, uh, we'd love to get your input on this. That email again is boardgameimpact at gmail.com. But I'm also going to encourage you to go onto Facebook and just type in Board Game Impact and just click like and comment on there and shoot us a message through there. Josh and I both get that um, as well as we also have the Instagram. And so feel free to hop over to there. Um, but also, if you'd like to just connect with us more, you can also find us on Board Game Geek. So please do search us there and just search the name of the show, Board Game Impact under podcast, and it's all listed right there um, but we just want to say thank you so much and uh, we're going to wrap it up here with just some closing notes and so stay tuned for uh, again all of that contact information as well as some other things about the show for you to engage and support the show and just thanks for listening and just go out and have a positive impact on the world Again, my name is Bruce Brown, and you can find me on Board Game Geek as Bruce Brown. I hope that you enjoyed this new aspect of the show. Josh and I are going to be working on some different formats, bringing, maybe bringing in some deep dive sections like we talked about in this episode, talking about upcoming Kickstarters, Kickstarters that we're currently watching and talking about, and just other things in the gaming hobby. This has been something that, honestly, in reflecting on recording this episode... <laughs> Josh and I had this conversation and I told him, honestly, this was the most fulfilling and rewarding episode that I've recorded. Like, so the process of recording it, and I hope it was just as fulfilling to you to listen to it and that you were able to feel like you were here with us because that's what we want you to feel because these are really things to hopefully that you can take and learn from to influence in a positive direction the impact that you're able to have for your gaming and your gaming group. Uh, Josh and I just both want to come at this from the lens of let's help and let's share what's going on because we're better as a community because of it. So if you'd like to have anything in particular discussed, please do shoot us an email at boardgameimpact at gmail.com. Do go on to the Facebook, so boardgameimpact, so facebook.com slash boardgameimpact. Josh and I can both respond to messages there. Please click like. Follow us on Instagram at boardgameimpact. Also, we just want to quickly shout out and say thank you to our phenomenal Patreon backers for supporting this show. Your support means more than you could possibly know. If you would like to support the show and enjoyed today's episode, please consider going on to the Patreon. So that's patreon.com slash boardgameimpact. But you can also support the show by simply sharing the show with your friends. Let them know that you're listening to it and send them uh, over email or text. Just let them know you're listening to this. That would mean a great deal. Also, while you still have your phone or device in your hand, please go on and rate the show in the podcast app that you're listening to it so that way more people can discover the content that Josh and I are working hard behind the scenes to put out for you. One other thing, another way that you can support the show, and I talked about this in the last episode, I entered into the Rode Microphone competition called My Roadcast. Now that competition is still on, uh, going on if you listen to this episode at the time of the air date. But just you have to really hop on there and click vote while you still can because it's going to be closing in the coming days. And what that's going to do, that's going to really increase the amount of audio quality that we're going to be able to put out for you. Uh, it's going to be able to get us some microphones and other things that are really just going to really enhance a show that we just cannot wait and we're so hopeful for because we're doing this out of passion. We're doing this as a passion project. And we'd love to be able to do even even greater service for you and the rest of the gaming hobby. So please go to myroadcast.com. That's M-Y-R-O-D-E-C-A-S-T.com. Click on listen and then click 
and type in board game impact and vote for the show. That would mean so very much for us as it would unlock opportunities that otherwise we would not have the potential to do. But really just hope that this new segment and adding in Josh is something that you really enjoyed. We're going to be experimenting over the coming episodes. So please be on the lookout for that and be open to that and be giving us feedback so that way we can know and just also understand that we're going to be entering into this process and are just going at it to really bring better and more meaningful content to you. And so just go with us on this journey. And we're just so thankful to have you. And we hope that this was helpful for you. So until next time, go have a positive impact on the world.